It is a tremendous couple of weeks coming up here in 1 Corinthians. I'm uh, interested to see where we go because 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, it just gets more and more and more intense. And how many of you have seen or been part of or been affected by Friendly fire, whether in the military or just at work. Friendly fire, anybody? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes even we get confused and we, we forget that the people around us aren't necessarily the problem, nor the enemy. It's very easy to then inside of our own minds hold on to those problems. Sure, I wouldn't do it physically, but every day I kill you at least 10 times because I'm so angry. We all know that. And God doesn't necessarily want to deal with the physical. Even Paul goes back and forth with the heart and pride problem. It's amazing as you go through 1 Corinthians. I could have changed this entire series title to how to make sure that I'm the best person you've ever met. Because it is. It's a pride problem. It's a pride issue that we run into is as Christians, and in the church itself is where this discussion is happening. If you remember from last week, one of the things we hit on was Paul was hammering in the first part of chapter 5, and he says this, he says, listen, don't, don't get caught up in some of these things that are going on in the world. This shouldn't even show up. And then he says, and by the way, I'm talking to the judgment that goes on to those inside the body. He says later on, right here in verse 10, he says, I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of this world. Because if I meant to not associate with them, to shut them out, then you're not doing what the Great Commission says, to go. He even says that. Since then, you would need to go out of the world when we were commanded to go into the world. So as he continues in chapter 6, you can turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, He now starts getting into some things that were heard in the culture, in the society of that day, in that area, and I know none of us can really understand it today because we've never seen that before. But as we go into chapter 6, we start to see Paul starts to attack a problem of lawsuits between Christians. Now, he uses the extreme example of lawsuits that have happened between Christians, But we have to realize that the motivation behind those things, he also hits later on in the chapter. The motivation being the problem. The motivation was when the sin happened far before the physical action. So if we look in chapter 6, 1 Corinthians, let's read a couple of verses. Verse 1 says this, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Let me put a little bit more of a modern English understanding of that. You guys are suing each other? How dare you? This is what Paul is saying. Or you could say it even different, more different, or differently. I'm going to try and butcher as much as I can grammatically here. So you're taking your brother or sister in Christ to court over petty stuff? Seriously? This is what he's saying here. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If you're, if you're interested in that, Matthew 19.20 and Revelation 3.21, go into that. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels, and you can put in parentheses things in the eternal realm? How much more things that pertain to this life, the temporal realm? Verse 4, if then you have judgments, or another word they use here is courts, if you're creating, you're going to court over these things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not even a wise man among you? Not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? Let's pause there for a minute. 
Because I want to clarify something. A lot of people will read this verse and take it out of context, verse 1 of chapter 6, and believe that there's no place for human law. There's no place for going to uh, the system that God has put in place to protect people in general. And that's not the case. The Greek here is is a phrase that ties best to civil issues that we would translate here in America. These would be civil issues. I let you borrow $350, you didn't pay me back, so I'm going to sue you so I can get my $350. It's a civil issue. Uh, Paul gets very stern and deals with criminal issues in Romans chapter 13. So if you want to do homework there, you can see where God does set up a system and authorities to protect and judge criminals. But I want us to realize something, because what Paul is doing here is he's highlighting an issue that should never exist in the body of Christ, ever. And let me just say that this first point has been a point that I did not like to write down, because I have to deal with something. And you'll see the first point up on the screen. Remember the series being how to play church, somewhat being tongue-in-cheek, We play church when we hold on to an issue with someone in our Christian family. That's what Paul's saying. He says, you guys have held on to it long enough in your heart that now you're willing to go to legal matters and sue them? He's really serious here. Now, we in different cultures, in different uh, social groups, different parts of the country, different parts of the world, we will do things differently in how we hold on to problems against each other. We may choose, which is a struggle that I've had in the past, to just simply not talk with them. Avoid the scenario. Or maybe we get to the other side where we have the, the prayer request, and then we tell everybody how they're sinning against us. Hey, can you pray for my, my brother or sister here because, well, pretty much they're mean to me, and they've done all these horrible things, and, but they just need prayer. I know Jesus can take care of them. We didn't care about praying for them. We just want to make sure we get someone else on our team so we feel better. We play church when we hold on to an issue with someone in our Christian family. Let me just share with you, very frankly, I have someone that I have to give a phone call to after the church service because of the stinking point. I've got someone i got to talk to. I didn't realize how deep it had gotten into my heart, how frustrated I got, how hurt I was, even though I'm 99% right in my mind, I've got a 1% to deal with. I've got a 1% to take care of. Now, here's the frustrating part. Now, all you guys are going to text me halfway through the week, hey, Joe, did you talk to him? And I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm not above you in any way. You are more than welcome to send a note. You can mail it to me if you only have the church's address, whatever. But there's someone for each of us in here, I guarantee you, at least one. Who do we need to let go of something with? I will tell you, it is, the, it is the heaviest weight ever. And it will drive us to make decisions that do not match the gospel. It will drive us to make decisions that have nothing to do with the mission of Jesus Christ. But it has something to do with Joe. And that's the problem that we go into. The, the series or the teaching title for today is looking out for number one. See, if we're looking out for number one, what do we do? Well, if someone does something against me, then if I'm number one, I can hold it against them. But if I'm not number one, then they answer to the same person I answer to. It's in fact blasphemous to hold a sin against a brother or sister in Christ because they answer to Jesus and I answer to Jesus. If I hold it to their account on my behalf, I'm saying I'm God. We have to be so careful. We have to let go of those things. And, and one of the things that's so amazing is that oftentimes when you see in a team this, this discord of people start going against each other and having all these problems, what's the number one thing that has to happen? The leader of that team comes in and says, listen, listen up, everybody listen, wait a second, get out of each other's faces. Here is the mission. And we've got to be reminded of the vision. We've got to be reminded of the mission. We've got to be, realize what's happening. If you've ever seen some of those sci-fi movies where there's those weird spiritual forces that come in and all of a sudden the team's fighting against each other and everybody finally wakes up and goes, wait a second, I didn't want to fight you. I didn't want to come against you. They realize that they had another force against them. Well, they borrowed from Scripture. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
Our struggle is not against the person next to you. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you're not my enemy. Look at one side and say it. Ready? Let me hear it. You're not my enemy. Look at your neighbor. Now turn to the other side. You're not my enemy. Husband and wife, come on. Say it to each other. (laughs) You're not my enemy. Now here's the key, though. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, where? Outside of where I can see. In the spiritual realm. Think of walking around in the dark and constantly tripping over a string and then punching the first person that shows up because it's their fault. That would be completely silly. But what can happen is that we stop and we go, wait, what is to blame? It's the things I cannot see. So what do I need? I need the brothers and sisters I can see to get through that problem. That's the issue. If you want to look a little bit more into detail on forgiveness and reconciliation and dealing with problems with brothers and sisters, two or three weeks ago we did a, series, or a teaching called Don't Hide from the Dirt, Clean It. You can look that up on our website risechapel.com slash media. You can find that teaching in there. There's a couple of things in there we went through earlier in 1 Corinthians. I'm not going to cover that this morning. But in verse 2 and 3, Paul makes this picture, and it's kind of hard to see as you read through it all because you're thinking value. You're thinking importance. Verse 2 says this, Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? Now, many of us will look at that verse and say, Well, yeah, of course, because we're the better ones. But that's not the picture Paul's trying to draw. See, the problem with that is that that places us because we have the gospel as if we're better? No. No, the problem is a dimensional or realm problem, and that is that the saints who are eternally alive will be judging those who are already eternally dead. He's looking towards the future, not in terms of value of a soul, because God says he wants all of them, He's talking in terms of positional authority that if we are in the family of God, we have his authority. And this is a period of time moving towards the future. So he's not saying here, don't you realize in verse 2 that you're better than those world people? And and the reason we know that is you go back a couple of verses and you realize, wait a second, no, that's our mission field. We don't sit in our lives as Christians and sit back and go, wow, that world is so dirty. Go back, don't complain about the dirt, clean it, remember? Remember? There's also a teaching series we did a while back called Consider Yourself Sent. There's another teaching series we did that kind of talks through all of those verses in Scripture that say we're not supposed to be a solution complaining about a problem. We're the solution that's part of fixing the problem. We have the injection that fixes the disease. We can't stand back and just be, you know, sure would be nice if they had this syringe, wouldn't it? Any doctor that sat there in a hospital and did that is a sicko. But I know I myself, as a Christian, have caught myself there, standing outside of my mission field going, you know, if they had what I had, they wouldn't be so gross to me. But that's not our job. That's not our call. That's not our stance. See, a system that will last forever is God's, not man's. The system that is going to last, and even Jesus said this to Pontius Pilate. He says, Pontius says, you know, aren't you a king? And Jesus goes, listen, my, my, my kingdom, it's not of this world. It's not part of this system here. He says, the building is burning down. I'm not here to fix the building. I'm not building on top of this rottenness, this brokenness. The system has been broken. I came for the people because why? Because I'm making something new. He's not here to redeem the system or the organizations or the, uh, the physical objects. He's here for the eternal souls. And that's his whole mission. You'll see here in Matthew, and I love this world. Okay, first off, raise your hand if you're a sci-fi fan. You like any sci-fi movies, shows, magazines, cartoons, whatever. Okay, and Doctor Who. Anybody Doctor Who fan? All right, so here's the great thing. This Greek word that's here, I'm going to get seriously Greeky on you here so you can see my pointer. No, you can't. All right, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, you know what that word, you know what that word means? After the regeneration. All right, all the Whovians are all nerdy right now. Just push your glasses up. That's what the Greek word itself means, literally. After the regeneration, after God has made something brand new, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man 
will sit on his glorious throne. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus himself talks about the authority that he's granting people. And I want to challenge us all that a way we can stop playing church is when we unite against our common enemy. And it's not other churches, it's not other people, it's not other systems, it's not other organizations, it's not governments, it's not any of those things. It's against, really, the dark spiritual realm. That's our common enemy. And it's a reminder for us as Christians that as we are being attacked, as we have things coming against us, if someone comes up to me and taps me on the right shoulder, and I turn around and just deck whoever's there, I'm really missing the issue. It may have not been anybody that's over there. It could be the guy over here. How many of you are one of those people? I'm raising my hand because I'm one of them. You're the one who taps on the right shoulder and you're actually on the left? Come on, any of you? Raise your hand. I know you do it. And that's our enemy, deceiving. I'm going to mess with Joe and his right and make him think it's his brother over here. So what do I do? I turn around and I'm beating up my brother in Christ. First John, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed. Everyone who does not practice righteousness, the one who does not love his fellow Christian, is not of God. What is my mission and drive? Now this is, this is, a lot of times, I love what Francis Chan said. He said that Christians, we have gotten so good in modern America, modern Christianity, to talk about how we've memorized all these great things for God, but when it comes to obedience, we can talk about how I would apply it in my life. We can talk about how I would obey it in my life. But do we really see what this is saying here? That the witness of the church of Jesus Christ has not been this for many millennia. What's the hardest thing that you've ever had in witnessing or even you yourself coming out of a lifestyle within atheism or anti-church or a-religious? It was the fact that you knew a Christian or went to a church because the religious system broke down because people started going after each other. Nearly every book in the New Testament addresses this issue. James talks about it. He goes, you guys, don't you realize where the fights are coming from? You're seeking your own and then you're killing each other to get it. There's never going to be an end to it. And we do it in all different ways. Next, you'll see, he says this, for this is the gospel message that you heard from the beginning. What? That you should love one another. Do you know what that word love is? It's not phileo, where I've got this camaraderie among bros. It's not eros, where I have this emotion and this physical desire to like them or love them. It's not storgi, which is a familial love, kind of obligated because we're related but it's agape, unconditional, sorry, conditionless care for that person. Now, now, what are the conditions that we put on things? A lot. No, 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 I'm totally unconditional. Really? Really? There's a lot of people that I don't want to talk to. There's a lot of people that I don't really like. Those are my conditions. Well, well it's, just, it's just kind of uncomfortable and awkward. Then my condition is comfort. Well, I, I just don't know if we really would like the same things. Then my condition is camaraderie. Well, I'm just not sure if we speak the same language. Then my condition is not putting in the effort. Pick the condition that we add to our care for one another. Well, they go to that other church. The condition is we forgot what Jesus did. There's a lot of ways we add conditions. I want to challenge us all. We play church when we forget our battles are spiritual. Our battles are spiritual. Here's the greatest way that God shared this with me that made it so clear. There's two parts to it. It's not even in my notes. It just came on my mind here, and I want to share it with you. Number one, when I get woken up in the middle of the night, the first thing I want to do is whine. All right, I've got six kids, and they've gotten to a point now where if they wake up, they take care of themselves. Mom and dad care about them, just not that much anymore. And so there's, there's this. I love my kids. I really do. Amen, kids. Say it. But when I get woken up, for years I would get frustrated. I'm a heavy sleeper. If something wakes me up, usually several people had to die and bombs had to go off. 
I've, to- I've told people that work before, they're like, oh, man, I can't sleep. My kids woke me up. I'm like, and I remember waking up like three days into a new kid being at home going to my wife, hey, man, the baby slept through the night. And the lasers that came from her eyes. <laughs> but then God said something similar to Samuel. I love all the wives are laughing like, I love you, honey. And no, they still don't sleep through the night. As I remember for weeks, I woke up at exactly the same time every night. And immediately the message to little Samuel, are you asking God what he wants? And it's just, I forget who I was talking with, and that's his question to me. He's like, well, are you asking God what he wants? Because I was whining. How many of us struggle with sleep? Here's the beauty of the hound of heaven, is that he'll keep waking us up until we hear what he has to say. And that's awesome. I, I know a guy who, he's not a sleeper, and he said, you know what, obviously, I cannot hear God during the day, so he keeps me up all night. And for some of us, that is our personality. Uh, for me, I can usually get along with very little sleep and function relatively well. Not for long. But I typically, have, I went for probably 18 months with about four hours of sleep every night when I was doing full-time college and, and traveling with work and three different ministries and so on, and And uh, God just supernaturally fed me in whatever way possible. But it's amazing how much he was speaking in those quiet times. For me, I'm an extrovert. I'm I'm loud. I talk a lot. I know it's a surprise. I know it's a surprise. I was like, wow, I didn't know you were an extrovert, Joe. But God's challenge to us is to remember that when things happen in our life, Look to the spiritual first. What's happening around us first? And the the, the thing that's embarrassing to us really as Christians is that a lot of times we will go to the world's system to fix our spiritual problems and we never solve the root issue. We never solve the real root, the base, the foundation, the thing that our feet are glued to, we never fix Because the closest person to me, the closest thing to me, as long as it falls down and I feel better about it after I hit it, then I try and move on with my life, but my feet are still in the concrete of sin. I'm still stuck, glued to the floor of a terrible life. And I know that there are times where, for example, I had someone that I just did not want to deal with years ago, and I knew, I knew that if I changed my pattern of how I went to the office, I would never have to see them. That's this. That I go to man's system to avoid what God is trying to do. That I go to a system that helps me ignore the spiritual problem by producing some sort of physical gain. You know how I rationalized it? Well, I've never gone this way. What if someone needs Jesus? What a cop-out. Well, I've never walked this way. What if I see someone else that I need to know? How about, Joe, you're a jerk, and you need to confront the issue that's in your heart right now, which I eventually did have to do because here's what happened. God changed their route too. It's a beautiful thing. We think we're tricky. We really do. I'm going to go around here and they won't be there. Oh, hi. And we've got to deal with the problem. You know what's funny? My wife's not in here, but this is bad about me, so I'll say it. So I had had, we had first met and we were going to college and it's a similar story to the example I just gave. I just... There were things that, that I, I knew or I had heard and so on, and, and I, just, I just didn't want to be close to her. I didn't want to get kind of pulled into a relationship at all. And so I knew that I would see her and say hi to her in the morning if I went towards the same class as she did, and I would see her. So I just said, God, I, I can't deal with this. My brain was just confused. I'm so, oh, man, how many of you are so glad you don't have teenage years anymore? It was such a confusing time. I had no idea who I was, where I was going, what I liked, who I liked, where I wanted to go. It didn't matter. So, you know, 18, 19 years old, I'm walking around this, this building, and I'm walking in the grass because I know she has to come through. Who comes walking in the grass? Her. She goes, hey, what are you doing back here? And I said, I just was taking a different route today. She says, yeah, I am too because check this out. This guy that's been trying to come after me that broke my window showed up in the hallway and I had to come around this way. Wow, I'm such a jerk. 
Like, I'm over here, like, oh, I just don't want to deal with it. Instead of just being a man and just talking and being mature, I am so glad that God redirected her path. I am a far better man because of what God has done through her and me. And I'm sorry that, man, all of you got number two in God's choice list. That's all right. I tell that to my boys. I'm like, hey, guys, get a settle for number two through six. So I got number one. But we will, we will choose physical means to try and get away. Look at Jonah. Running, 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 running. God, you're going to go talk. You're going to tell them. And even with a bad attitude, and you can hear it in Paul, hey, listen, if they're preaching the gospel, then, and it's a bad attitude, at least the gospel's being preached. Jonah was the same picture. Terrible attitude. Don't let anybody ever tell you Jonah was, it's a horrific ending to a story. He has brat attack after brat attack after brat attack. He sits up there. The branch grows over him in grace and mercy from God. And guess what happens? It dies and he curses God. Not says thank you. Ah, Jonah was a horrible person. What a jerk. But you know what happened? A revival. Even though his attitude was terrible, God used him. God reminds us in 2 Corinthians that, yes, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Next verse says this, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. Do you realize, there's a great article, and maybe I'll share it on the Facebook page, there's a great article out there that says the dumbing down of Christianity. We, this is the power we have. This is the power we have, that the human reasoning and the assumptions that we make and how we can live life, that that wisdom can come from God. And unfortunately, if you want to find and be someone embarrassed to call yourself a Christian, look up Atheist Destroys Christian and and things like that in YouTube videos. And it is amazing, these non-biblical, nonsensical, unintelligent answers that come out of people who proclaim Christ. That's not what he gave us. He didn't tell us to church people or to doctrine people. He told us to evangelize, sharing the truth, the wisdom of God. And oftentimes we go to the wisdom of man instead of the wisdom of God. But this is what we have available to us. This, I love it because this is Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthians. And unfortunately, they're human, and so they didn't get it, and so he keeps saying the same thing over and over again, but in different ways until they understand it. It's a challenge to me. And here's the question I want us to think about. Are you ready? It's a pop quiz. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. Where am I depending on man's abilities to deliver me rather than dealing with the root issue? Where am I depending on man's abilities to deliver me rather than dealing with the real issue? David prayed the same thing in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know me. Try me, find if there's any way in me that that is worshiping anything other than you. And then he stops and he says, and lead me in your way. Lead me in the eternal ways, the everlasting ways. And I love this, Romans 13. It says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here, so remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or moral living or quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge evil desires. There's a change that God calls us to. And again, this this whole picture has very little to do with the physical. It has to do with our spiritual. That's why it ends with what? It ends with the 10th commandment of no coveting. Of not desiring those sinful things. Yeah, sure, don't be physically involved in them, but we didn't just wake up one morning and go, whoa, why am I dancing and completely stone-cold drunk right now? I don't understand. None of us have ever done that, unless it was a blackout problem and we don't remember getting drunk. But I'm saying, realistically, we don't just wake up one morning and we're hanging out drunk on the street somewhere or we're completely trashed somewhere in the back of a trailer. 
We have evil desires that build and grow and build and grow, and we end up at the end of that road. But it's the desires that began it all. It's those things that drew us. Let's keep reading 1 Corinthians. Verse 6, or actually let's start in verse 5. He says, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes against, or sorry, goes to law or sues brother. And that's right in front of unbelievers, he says. He says, you guys, agapeo between each other. But, but, but that's the call, and here's what's happening. You're literally ready to destroy the life of a brother or sister in Christ over a little bit of money, over a little bit of, you ran over my puppy, or you ruined my hedge, or whatever it was. Paul's trying to draw this picture going, do you see what's happening? You're taking your pocket knife and you're stabbing your left arm because your right arm hurts. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. He's not saying even within the local church body. He's talking the large body of Christ. And you guys have heard throughout the entire series in Corinthians how God wants us to differentiate only on Christ. Our differentiation can't come from anywhere else. Why? Because that starts with grace. That starts with something I can't control. Do I start with Jesus and that's it? I'm fine if I don't agree with you in some places. Perfectly fine. Let's start at Jesus first. Let's start at the work of him. Let's start at the grace and the work that he has done and completed for us first. The temptation, though, as you continue on, in verse 7. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another or you are suing one another. I love there's different translations out there. One of them says that this is a stain on your community now. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather just let yourself be defrauded? No. You yourselves do wrong and defraud, and you do these to your brethren. This isn't a back massage from Paul. This isn't a back massage from the Spirit speaking to them. See, the, the challenge that we have to deal with is that oftentimes in, in the church community and in, in the Christian communities, we will see where we try and defend ourselves, where we try and set ourselves up. But here's one thing I want us to realize. Is that we play church. I think I might have skipped some things. You have to take it. It's not in my notes here. So, we play church when we're always looking out for number one. Is the title of this series. We play church when we're looking out for number one. Now, I can list off so many different ways that we do that. So many different ways. But one of the things that Paul made very clear when he wrote to, to Timothy from not a very good place, a place where Paul really didn't have a reason to have this kind of hope, a place where Paul, who was really innocent, said this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He doesn't say, I can't wait. I've almost got the lock picked and I'm going to unload on this guard. No, what does he say? The Lord's going to deliver me. He doesn't sit here and worry about, you know, you know what, you know, I just don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. And this person stole 350 bucks from me. Oh, if I'm going to get that money back, I'm going to do it that way. Whatever it is. If there's a way that we believe someone else owes us, whatever it is, can we let it go? Some of us can. Some of us can look at it and go, yeah, you're right. But some of us, it's a long, 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 long time that this has been held on to. And there's walls. And it's steel reinforced concrete with lead wrapped around it with diamond shielding. I mean, just pick what's around it. We're not letting that go. 
And we are now calling ourselves God. And they have to answer to us. But Paul says, listen, I'm not. That's the challenge for all of us. The same verses in the message translation, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, said these court cases are an ugly blot on your community. Wouldn't it be far better just to take it? To let yourself be wronged and forget it? Now let me just say, I was, I think I was 17, maybe 18 years old, and I remember I had loaned a friend of mine, this is why the number keeps coming up in my mind, $350. I had saved up, I had my own little business, it saved up, and I'm like, hey, he needs it. I'm going to give it to him. He had wanted to buy a class ring. He was, lived in a very, very poor home, uh, just n- not a lot for him. Year rolls over from it all, and, and I, I still love the guy. I still want to be his friend, and, and he had never had paid me back, and, and I was struggling at that point to be able to you know, pay insurance on my truck or, or purchase gas or whatever. And my mom was on the front porch, and I was getting ready to leave the house and I just said, oh, I just can't stand it. So-and-so is, you know, such a jerk. Well, why? And I said, well, you know, a year ago, I, let this, I gave him, loaned him $350, and I haven't seen a dime of it. I mean, and he even talks to me as if, you know, nothing's going on. Nothing's really happening. And she quotes this verse to me. My first response wasn't, oh, whew, yeah, I'm going to let that go. Thanks, Mom. No, my first response was, well, well, okay, but like, how do I get the $350 back? Because that was my biggest frustration, was that he owed me. Here's the sickness of what God was trying to do with me, because several years later, his mom was getting beaten by his father, and he shot and killed both of them to protect his mother. Life in prison. And because I didn't hold anything against him, because God cleansed whatever unforgiveness I had, I was able to send him a letter while he was in prison, and he accepted Christ. This is what we don't understand. And and I almost miss, you want to talk about goosebumps, it's terrifying to think of me had I not forgiven and just written him off. But no, I continued to be his friend for several years after that. And we went out and hung out. He shared with me problems of what was going on in his home. I, I, I never wanted to be there. His sister was taking home a different guy every night to the house. Mom couldn't do anything about it. Dad never did anything. Dad would show up and disappear for weeks at a time. Horrible upbringing. And for some reason, God kept me around to share this. Are we servants of God? Or are we servants of us? Are we willing to say, it doesn't matter what the cost is, I'm simply a servant of God? Or do we have to say, no, 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 no. No, there's a condition here. I want to make sure that I get these things. This is something very hard to understand. But I want us all to see this very objectively. We play church when we seek to be serviced and not serve in any way. We can take, for example, going to a restaurant. We can take, for example, being on the road somewhere, being, you know, trying to merge in a certain lane or be involved in certain community events, whatever it is. When we say that, well, you know, I think this should be happening. I remember having a conversation with someone probably 10 years ago, and they came up to me because they knew I was a leader in this church that was back down south, and, and they were very frustrated, and they said, you know, I'm just, it's a little bit ridiculous that I show up, and it takes forever to check in my kid. And I said, well, we obviously need help. Would you like to come and help? He looks right at me and says, I give my tithes. You guys should have the right people here so I can go in the service. Now, I'm going to share with you something I didn't say, but man, I wanted to. I said, maybe in my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe you wouldn't be so embarrassed to bring your kids in if you weren't such a terrible father. And then I said to him on the outside, well, sir, that's not really it. We're not paid here. The tithes are going towards other ministries and so on. 
So if you have an issue, you can wait in the line, or you can go and sit out somewhere else with your kids, or you can go into the service and sit with your kids. It's all up to you and your choice. But I can give you a volunteer pack if you'd like to help out. It's so easy to get caught up. We seek to be serviced and not serve. I, I talked with someone this week about just different ways that ministry changes throughout the summertime. I was talking actually with pastors on Thursday. And one of the pastors was sharing, just pastors from all over the valley, we meet together for prayer. And one of the things the pastor was saying was, you know, I'm really concerned about summertime because we drop off a lot in attendance and in people that are volunteering because they're just not sure if they'll be around. And I, I'm not going to claim that I was inspired by the Spirit, but I, could, I, I said out of my own concern and frustration of things that I've prayed, I said, the best thing we can do as pastors is to help people realize that Sunday service is not the dude te- teaching. It's everything that happens on this campus. Every single one of us are ministers. The person that made sure the coffee was ready this morning, that you enjoyed for free without any effort, unless it was at the end and you had to do extra pumping, whatever it is, they ministered. And that's their job on Sundays. And they enjoy it most of the time. But what's the first thing that happens when there isn't coffee in there? We wanted to be serviced. We spend a lot of time allowing our standards to become God's standards, and therefore, if you miss them, I will judge you as if I was God. Can't let that happen. We can't walk into a place and think that, well, you know, I... (laughs) This was years ago, and I had someone who was in the children's ministry, and they had served once a month, and they said to me, yeah, I'm trying to get a month off so I can be in the real service. What? The real service? So, so, so if they're just little guys that need to hear the gospel, it doesn't matter? It absolutely does matter. It 100% does matter. The real service is the service that God has called us to, Done. But I really like to hear the teaching. We have podcast. But I really want to be with adults. Did God call you there? Then be there. If God called you elsewhere, get over yourself. And that wasn't exactly the easiest conversation to have with that person. But it was true. It's very true. We get caught up in wanting to be serviced. I remember sitting in a restaurant with a family member. It was a step family member on my wife's side. And if the meal didn't come in a certain amount of time, you're just guaranteed to get spit because this person would be up and walk back and talk to the manager. It's like we order, and if the drinks aren't always full and if the meal isn't there with a certain amount of time, it's like, you know what, I'm going to go talk to the manager. I'm done. We're like, no, 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 please sit down. I don't want to get a cold again, you know. It's just this constant, this like, I'm here. You are to service me, this constant mindset. Of service me. That's very American. It's also why we left the British colonies because of that hierarchical system that says, you know, you should serve me, you should do all these different things. We literally are living like kings in this country. And it's very easy to take a waitress or law enforcement or whatever and believe that, well, you know, you're here to serve me and do all these different things. We are here to serve each other. And our mindset very much gets wrapped around service me. But here's the thing that God challenges to in John 13. By this, okay, that is a a word that's pointing to something else grammatically. Everyone. The, The word here in Greek is actually all the peoples, all the nations. It literally is completely inclusive statement. It says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have the right Bible version. If you have the right kind of building, the right kind of of whatever it is. No, what does he say? If you have not phileo, not storgi, not anything else, agape. Unconditional, conditionless care for another. Man, that is the hardest conversation I have with atheists, though. Because what do they bring up? 
well, the church. And my first response is, I have no defense. No defense for the organization of the church. None. I will not sit here and defend it and say, well, it did this, this. No, I will tell you that for centuries the church has left and murdered Jews and murdered Muslims and gone throughout communities and just instead of sharing the gospel, they were part of hate movements. I totally will stand by that. But what I will say is that's not the church of Christ. The church of Christ is motivated by agape. Now, agape says unconditionally... I love you, and I will tell you what you don't want to hear. Why? Because my condition won't be my comfort. Unconditionally, I will love you, and I will take the heat, even though I might not have been wrong. Unconditionally, I will care about you and go out of my way to ensure that you're serviced and not me. They will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. Now, I want to brag a little bit on you guys, because if I go into our scheduling tool that we have, for people that serve at Rise. The average typically in a church is 8 to 10% of people actually serve at all in any way. We're at like, like 40 to 50%. I'm like, I'm, I, I want to go to like these pastor's meetings and go, I've got better people than you do. No. <laughs> but you guys are getting it. You guys are seeing that. You know what the number one thing is that we hear from visitors when they write letters to our, our email account or whatever? They come in, they'll say, you know, I really loved how people just said hi to me walking in. And the second week I came, they remember my name. Creepy, but cool. I love that. I really want people to understand that that's the work of God. It's not a feel-good, huggy love that when you're doing something wrong, we're not going to call you out. But it's also not this fake love of we're seeking attendance over engagement with the gospel. No, we want engagement with the gospel. They'll know that we are Christians. They'll know that we are his disciples. They'll know that we're the real deal because of our love for one another, the way that I deal with others. I want us to realize there's two comparing statements here to think about. We don't prove our validity to the world as Christians by being right or better. See, morality does not define us and make us more or less Christian. Because I will tell you, I have three or four close friends of mine who are atheists who have better morals than just about everybody in here. Because morality doesn't equal Christianity. Morality does nothing. Morality creates a religious system that says, I'm betterer than you, and I'm going to be closer to Jesus because of that. Jesus said, while you were the dirtiest, filthiest, at the bottom covered in scum, I died for you. So if there's a rating system... I've got more sin, I'm worse than you, should be the one thing we call out. That's why Paul said it. He died for sinners, of which I'm the chief. Captain one up there beat us all because he wrote it. So as we go through Christianity, or go through our life as Christians, we don't prove that we're valid as Christians because, well, I do less wrong things than somebody else. Here's how we prove it, and we remember it from this verse. We prove it by unconditional give a care in the body. I love being able to talk to people outside of the church and share about conversations I've had with, I have a very, very close friend of mine who doesn't even come to this, this church. I have friends of mine that live in other countries that are doing missions work in other churches and other denominations, and, and, and many of them, some of them don't even go to a church because it's not even possible where they live but they're part of the body. I can't wait. Like I've said a couple weeks ago, there are going to be people that we see in heaven that they're going to be surprised to see us because we weren't acting like Christians, and we're going to be surprised to see them like, hey, wait, what are you doing here? And they're going to look at us and go, what are you doing here? Because we had a rating system that wasn't God's. We missed what he had called us to. Verse 8 makes it so clear here. It says, no, you yourselves do wrong and defraud, and you do these things to your brothers and sisters in Christ. We play church when we don't consider how our life choices affect those around us. Now, I'm not saying that every single moment, like, hey, God, should I open the refrigerator door? Hey, God, should I take this step forward here? Should I take this step forward here? But we really should consider as Christians when we make decisions on what to do with our time, our talents, and all the things that God has granted to us, 
Are these things that give you glory, God? Is there a need somewhere in your body? Is there a need outside that I should be taken care of? There's often times that we get caught up and, and we say something like, I need some me time. I just need a break. I joked, <laughs> I joked with someone who goes to another church here in the valley. Great guy, great church. And he says, yeah, some weekends I just, I don't feel like getting up and, and going in and we just kind of do a kind of lazy morning together. And I said, man, that is awesome. He goes, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And I looked at him and I go, what's it like? He goes, what do you mean? And I said, what do you mean, what do I mean? He goes, oh, you don't get the weekends off, do you? Light bulb. I said, I said, make sure you take time to be with your family. Make sure you take that time to do that. But maybe Sunday is not the time to do it. Because there's other people that need to see you. Other people that you could have been praying for. Someone you could have served for because they couldn't make it because they were sick. But because of obligation, they went. And he stopped and he said, you know, there are plenty of other times I can have a family morning. And he, boom, he committed. He's on the usher team involved. That's amazing a lot of times. I'm not saying that because I need more people serving at Rise. What I want to get us gripped by is God's heart. See, the darkness is coming. I mean, sorry, the darkness is leaving soon. We're going to be in his glorious light. We have a set amount of time. You guys, maybe you remember, if you weren't here, I'll, I'll share it there. You know those um, magic erasers, Mr. Clean magic erasers? How many of you love those things? If you have kids, you love them, right? They're awesome. But you know how you know that a magic eraser has finished its work and it's completed its race. It is gone. Make the connection. As Christians, if we show up to heaven with the plastic still wrapped around us going, God, I'm perfectly clean, and he's going to look and go, you didn't do a thing. I don't want the plastic wrap. I want you to show up without you. I just want your spirit. That's all I want. Still got the bubble wrap, Jesus. Great. I don't have any use for that. Take off that old tent. I got a new one here. Are we magic erasers for Jesus? Now, here's what I want to close with this morning. This is going to be huge. How to make number one great again, all right? I do not advocate anything by saying that, but it is funny. Because there is something about number one that's important. God has put it in us to find a number one in our life. God has put it in our hearts, our very hearts, to seek out our creator. And now oftentimes we put the wrong thing there. So I want to talk about how do we get the wrong number one out and the right number one in or make number one great again. Here's the first thing I want us to realize. Choose to not be number one. Choose to not be number one. Now that might sound kind of weird because, well, you know, there, there are some strange people out there, Joe, who are just real kind of, you know, just strange, you know, and they live in a cardboard box on purpose, and they do all these different things, and they're just strange. I'm not talking about the poverty doctrine. What I'm talking about is our decisions. How do we process them? How do we make our decisions within the kingdom of God? Where do I get this from? Well, Scripture points us to that in Philippians. It says, don't do anything only to get ahead. Don't do it because you are proud. Instead, be free of pride and do what? Think of others better than yourselves. And that's a whole different mindset than the world's system says. So here's the beauty of it all. The world's system itself will be exposed not because I said, you're dirty. It'll be exposed because of our love for one another. Because yelling at a pig because it stinks and is dirty is a waste of time. We need to remove ourselves from number one and think of others better than ourselves. Think of others as number one. But here's number two because the challenge is don't make people number one. Because then we get into another problem. We turn the gospel into a social activism project. 
Not that I'm against that. We just had an awesome opportunity this past week. If you guys didn't come, then you missed out on free ice cream afterwards. But we, we had an awesome project where we walked around the community. And by the way, when you drive along the Parks Highway right here by the church now, you're welcome. It's not a tr- the dump anymore because of some awesome people that rise. So, and we went along and did that. We had a chance to talk to each other, encourage brothers and sisters. I got an awesome opportunity to talk to one of our neighbors for about 10, 15 minutes. Phenomenal. We had a great opportunity But the goal at that point was, you know, God put it in our heart. Let's just obey God and see what he does. We'll see what he does. So we can't make people number one. We have to let God motivate us. Here's the scripture behind that. But above all, pursue his kingdom, Jesus, our Lord, and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, we can't seek the happiness of people around us. We can't be so caught up in the fact that I'm not sure I want to deal with this conflict or whatever, so I'm just going to make people number one. And guess what happens? God isn't number one. And when we put the wrong God in the place of God, they will always fail us. Always. You don't believe me? There's a whole bunch of cabins all the way up the park's highway, about five miles off on either side for people that have been failed by people and said, forget people. In fact, that's what a lot of this state is built on, is a lot of reclusiveness, because people fail people. Now, my response with love is, duh. So let's get to the real problem and get that heart filled with Christ. Get the forgiveness happening, because it can't happen without Christ. Here's number three. Always make God his ways, his desires, and his purposes, number one. Now, most of these are duh statements. If we've spent five seconds in a church or in the Bible, you've probably seen some of these things. But again, back to the statement I had earlier, we've memorized it, but are we doing it? Are we really making God's ways and desires and purposes, number one? There's a lot of ways we don't. I can't speak for any of you all. I'm not going to stand up here and go, well, I know what you're not doing for Jesus, and I know what you're not doing for Jesus. If I put it to my son, I might know a little bit. But But the goal is for each of us to wrestle with that, for each of us to fight with that. And here's Scripture. I love the Lexham English Bible. Proverbs chapter 3 says this, Trust Yahweh with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding Don't lean on how your brain processes it all. Next verse continues on. In all your ways. How many ways? That wasn't all of you. So let's try it again. In, in, let let me hear it, let me hear it. In all your ways acknowledge him. Well, that's going to be kind of hard because there's some things that I know God wouldn't do. Bingo. Bingo. That's it. We're going to get into some hard stuff in the coming chapters that speak to this exact issue. In all our ways, acknowledge him. Can I bring Jesus into everywhere that I'm going in my life, in my, my stance or my, my mental exercises that I'm going through? And he will straighten your paths. Next, says this, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and do what? Retreat from evil. Retreat from evil. And this will be healing for your flesh and refreshment for your body. Now let's bow our heads and close in prayer this morning. And I want to challenge, I want to challenge all of us. See, the temptation is to try and make some immediate change because we feel guilty or we feel frustrated or whatever. But here's what I want to pray. For everyone that's here, let's, let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes. And here's the challenge for, for two groups of people here. Number one, there's a group of people that number three has never happened. That God has never become number one. We may have checked a box. We may have had perfect attendance. But God is not number one. And I would love to pray with you this morning. If you'd like to pray that with me this morning, you can raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Here's the second prayer I want to pray with you. 
maybe God has exposed where we've chosen to make ourselves God. Where we've held something against somebody else and God has said, you need to fix this. You need to fix this. Listen, it's up to him. But are we willing to give it to him for that forgiveness? If you want to pray that this morning, we'll close and pray together in that. If there's someone, I'm going to raise my hand because God already touched my heart. Anybody else in here? Amen, 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 amen. Let's just close in prayer together. God, I, I thank you for the body you've put us in, for the brothers and sisters in Christ you've given me. And I ask for your forgiveness. Your forgiveness for me holding the standard and acting like people owe me. God, give me the ability to step out of number one. Help me to always keep you at number one. And God, I ask for reconciliation between those of us that have an issue that has to be worked out. I ask for reconciliation between Christian brothers and sisters. You are the God that reconciles, that draws together that unifies in ways that never could be done, and I pray for that miracle. In Jesus' name, amen.